Well, we have been going through this series, which I've labeled, With Christ in the School of Suffering. And this is an important title, and we've kind of looked at different aspects of this. And it's so good to know that in your suffering, as a Christian, we are with Christ. Please know that. In your suffering, whatever it is, Christ is with you. We are with Christ in the school of suffering. And there's so much that we learn in this. And we have seen that in many ways, suffering is at the heart of the Christian story. When you look at from bookend to bookend, there was goodness, purity, then Genesis chapter 3, all the way to Revelation 21, there's just suffering and pain. But yet we are a Christ-cross-centered church, and we see that suffering is at the heart of the Christian story. Maybe it's not the best marketing thing for people to say, come to Christianity, there's suffering, but there is beauty in the suffering when you're with Christ. Without Christ in suffering, there is no hope. There's no goal. There's no purpose. So when your world falls apart, know that Christ is with you. And my example is this here. We feel like life is this puzzle. It's not a box of chocolates today, but it's this puzzle. And we shake it and we wonder, okay, Lord, put it together, put it together. And then you open it up. This is one of my kids' puzzles. Oh, it's not together. And you think, okay, why, why is this... Why do I have this pain and suffering? And you shake it again and you think, okay, Lord, now it's going to happen. Now I'm a Christian. For sure it will be together. You shake the puzzle. You look inside and you go, oh, it's not together. The pieces don't seem to, to put together. And then you realize, oh, well, first of all, the puzzle itself is bigger than the box can contain. And most of us have this kind of box-sized image of God and suffering. And we view suffering through the way we want to. We think, this is what we think it should be. And we realize we have to take out the puzzle and look at the pieces and put them together and just say, why, why is this? And all of our puzzles have a different portrait. This one has a, an elephant and stuff like that, whatever. But all of our stories, our journeys with the Lord have different stories. But I believe that God, as we're looking at, is sovereign. And He's got every puzzle cut the way He has chosen and designed. And sometimes we don't understand why, why does cancer have to fit in this puzzle? Why does suffering, why does failure have to fit? Why does humiliation you have to fit into this puzzle I, I don't understand and we try to piece this together and we, we shake the box but this sermon series is not like a detective story where you wait to the end of the story and hopefully oh now I know the answers all my problems are fixed thank you Pastor Cody it is done oh now I got it all figured out we do have a God who has given us this book. And in this book, we know that God is sufficient in our suffering. Amen? And there might be times where you cannot put the puzzle together. And rightfully so, sometimes we are not to put the puzzle together. He will put it together for us. In our problems... You may not have all the answers, but God is sufficient. We have a God who's given us this so we can understand 
these biblical truths. And we've only talked about four of them. So take a look at the slide here. There's a few that we've been talking about. We began with the end. We have to have this eternal perspective, right? No matter how brief, how momentary, how light your afflictions are, that is nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory. Amen? You have to have this eternal perspective. And because we are so cross-centered, cross-focused, we saw that the cross secures our hope for glory. Have that eternal perspective. The second one is that God knows pain. And the cross experiences suffering. He understands. We have a God, and we looked at Hebrews, we looked at a couple other passages of Scripture where God understands. And most of the passages we've been looking at in Psalms talk about mocking and suffering and just all the pain and agony that Christ, the Messiah, would go through for our sins. Know this truth that God knows pain. He understands, and the cross experienced suffering. And the third one, which is so obvious to us, sin results in pain and suffering. When you look at what the results and the effects of sin, it's just evident all around us. But here is the beauty. The cross remedies sin. Amen? We're not just left in sin. The cross is the remedy for sin. How could we not worship Him forever? Because of the beauty of the cross. And the last one that we've been looking at is God is sovereign. And the cross fulfills God's plan. In many ways, I think theologically I should have started with this one. Because this is the foundation. God is sovereign. And last week we looked at many verses that talked about that He is in control. But you may ask, why do I keep including the cross into this? Just because maybe the church is called Crossway Church, you have to put cross in all of this. No, it's not because of that. I think the way of the cross, as we've been looking at, we spent... It's almost been two years now. We've been going through the Old Testament, looking at how the Old Testament points to, anticipates the cross. And the cross is the center message of our Bible. It is this beautiful exchange, because of my sin, that He came and took my place. It is beautiful. And the cross is more than just salvation. It, It opens the doors and bleeds into all these other areas. It secures our hope for glory. It it does all these other things. Take a look at this line here. God sweetens the outward pain that you may have by the inward reality and working of the cross by giving us inward peace. Literally, all hell may be all around you Fireballs may be flaming around you. Sin and pestilence all around you. Outwardly you may be suffering and wasting away. But inwardly, because of the cross, we can have peace. Profound. This is what makes possibly Christianity the great selling thing. Suffering 
through God's perspective. So why focus on God as sovereign? Why focus on this aspect? I'm not the greatest church historian, but when I look at church history, and I love to read a lot of church history, never liked history in school at all until I'm done with school, now I get to do it on my own. It's interesting that when you look at church history, there's been certain things that the church gathered together and fought for and defended. In the first couple centuries, it was, who is Jesus? They spent much effort in councils and committees and churches defended saying, Jesus is God. And they fought and defended the Trinity and they put this stuff together saying that Christ is not just a man and you know, was, was an aspect of just God or just, was he just a mode of, of God or just a, an aspect. No, he is, and they went through this. He's fully God, fully man in this body and they spent a lot of time talking about that. So the first centuries, it was all about Jesus and who he was. Skipping a lot of church history, in the 1500s, the Reformation. The beauty of the Reformation was they fought for justification. I'm right before God, not by the things I do, not by works, not by penance, not by the stuff, but by Christ alone. And they fought to defend and explain what justification was by faith alone. And I've mentioned a few times the five solas that came out. What today, if we would look at what's important today that we as a church should fight for? I don't think I'm too off on this, but I think today, sure, we should fight still for Jesus. We should fight for these aspects that the church has have as in teachings and doctrines. But today what's important is this aspect. God is sovereign. That is slipping so much today in our mindsets, even within the church. Because we think that God exists for our convenience. When in reality, when you read this, we realize that we exist for His glory. He is sovereign. He is in control. And sometimes we think that God exists for our convenience, so we bring him a little bit lower, and we make it where I'm a little bit higher, and maybe it's because we're Americans, and we can do things on our own, and we've kind of got our little setups, and we just, God, yeah, he's somewhat in control, but I'm in control too. God is in control. He is totally sovereign. This is so important today. And we miss out on this. And I love, just think of the songs we sang that Pastor John chose. Almost every song, the main chorus was listing all these attributes of God. Almighty, holy, sovereign, um, redeemer, Messiah, all these aspects of God. We need to know these and anchor on these things. Take a look at this, and I've said this before. Most of our problems in life are based on an incorrect view of God. Too many times we look at things from our point of view, not God's. Which at times we we cannot understand in the immediate situation that we're at. Pain and suffering comes, and we get, we get blinded, and it just becomes such a blur. And we, we try to see through our lenses, and just they're dirty, and they're, they're, 
they're wet from tears and we can't understand. We try to figure things out from our perspective. Yet we're looking through the wrong window sometimes. We're looking through the long lens, wrong lens. And we need to understand suffering from God's perspective, not ours. And you need to know this. God is in control. Amen? He is sovereign. He is in control. Because here's, what's hap- here's what happens. When I, when I think of this, I think of the reality of this. This is what happens when we hold these two things in our hands. Take a look at the next slide here. We have the, these two aspects. The reality of this is in one hand. We, we think, God, He is good as far as I understand. I read Scripture as much as I read it. And I read it. Okay, God is good. And He's going to work things out in my life. He's, he's in control. And you can hold that one hand and go, okay, yes, I do believe that. But then in this hand, there's the reality of terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. You've read that story. And these are real. And you wonder, what do I do with this suffering? God, you're in control. You are sovereign. You are so good. Amen? Hopefully you just say, absolutely, without a doubt. But then we get blindsided by this. And I've said this before. Sometimes we let circumstances dictate how we worship God. Instead of letting the worship of God and the reality of God dictate how we live in our suffering. And these are hard to bring together. These are not easy. For some of us, there's a disconnect when real problems come up. When cancer hits... Are you good? How can you be good? When there's death, this funeral I went to, young kid, 22 years old, and I just, what? How how do we bring these together? How do we face these difficulties and trials? You have to have these biblical truths, the eternal perspective. God knows pain. Because of sin, there is suffering. And so importantly, God is sovereign. He is in control. Without that, life would be hopeless, helpless, and ultimately worthless. But God is in control, amen? He is sovereign. Last week we saw that God is in control, and I said that all things are under God's rule and control. And that nothing happens without His direction or permission. And we've been looking in the book of Psalms. We've been looking at the aspects of the suffering Messiah. Many scriptures pointed to and spoke of Christ and that He would suffer. And in this journey that we've been going through in the church, looking at the book of Psalms, looking at Christ in the Old Testament, I'm not surprised that the Lord would slow us down in this aspect of suffering. This is the 15th message just on suffering alone. When I first penned it out, I thought it would be six sermons. That's it. But God is sovereign. And it is. I I sit back and I, I pray for each of you individually. And I realize, and I've talked with some of you about these messages. And this has been a very healing and important series 
to look at suffering from God's perspective. Amen? Because it's going to be true. Either you're going to enter suffering, or you're in the seat of suffering, or you're just done with suffering. One of those three things, no matter what, is in your life right now. Maybe all three of them. Why me, O oh Lord, right? But you need to know these biblical truths. And Scripture screams out to those in suffering that God is in control. He is in control. And He has brought healing to us as we've gone through these passages. So take your Bibles and let's look at Psalm 69. If you don't have a Bible, just put your hand up. We've got a couple Bibles in the back. Psalm 69. Like many of the passages that we have looked at, Psalm 22 and others, this passage speaks of Christ. And maybe the first readers, when they first read this or would sing this or they would think of David and his sufferings, they maybe didn't realize that this spoke of Christ, the Messiah. Yet some of them did. We see clearly in the New Testament, Jesus, his use of these psalms, other biblical writers apply these to Christ. In fact, Psalm 69 is quoted so much in the New Testament. It's the second most quoted psalms in all of the New Testament. Next to Psalm 110. This psalm is quoted often in the New Testament. So... I. Would love to, you know me, I'd love to take hours and just rip through this and just sink into this. But let me just give you a brief overview of this psalm. Let's just read the first couple of verses. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the myriad depths where there is no foothold. I've come to do the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. How many of you have ever felt that this past year? How many of you have felt just like, God, where are you? This past Thursday at this funeral, I thought, I'm done crying. I don't want to do this anymore. But more tears came out. Where are they coming from? Stop this. And just the ache in my heart. I just, why? And I had to share, and I was like, I'm not going to be able to share. My, my throat is part. I'm just, I'm wore out. Suffering is real. It is not a sin to grieve. Please remember that. I mainly speak to the guys like me who have a chest like me. I don't need this stuff. I don't need to suffer. It is not a sin to grieve. To be in misery. So this passage just pens out some great stuff and great misery and distress. We see the author saying, I need help. John 15 speaks of this part. Then 6 through 13 <clears throat> I was put here, basically saying, because, and all this stuff is happening because I have a desire to see God's glory and honor vindicated. And verse 9 is huge in this section. 
verse 9, is all about bringing praise and glory to God in the situation. And that's my prayer for you. And it might be that someday when I visit you in the hospital and you are weak and feeble and you can't do it anymore, I may sit next to you, I may hold your hand, not that I have to hold your hand, don't worry guys, it's not that way, but I may sit with you, cry with you, but I will say, God is sufficient, He's in control, God is good, and my prayer will be as this, that the Lord will be so glorified in this, that will bring peace to your soul wherever you're at. So my prayer that is in your suffering, that you would have a desire to please God, no matter what you have to walk through. Have a desire that would be for Him and His glory. Verses 14 through 19, here he's calling for help and petitioning to the Father for deliverance. And in this, there's, there's so much emotional pain just penned out. And this emotional pain is real. Then 20 through 22, he speaks of his enemies. Feeling overwhelmed. And the enemies that Christ had were great, which we'll see towards the end here when we look at the book of Acts. So much pain, internal pain, but enemies around. Remember I said, we looked at C.S. Lewis who said there's two types of pain. There's pain, physical pain that you can get, and depending how your nerves take them, you go, ouch. Some people say, ouch, more than others. But then there's this emotional pain. And this passage speaks of all of this. Then look, 23 through 29 is this plea that God would destroy his enemies. And if we recall back, 15 sermons ago, the first message was all about this eternal perspective. How come I, as a God follower, wanting to worship you, turning my life to you, I'm, I'm suffering, and Billy Bob Bucktooth down the road, who slams down the beers and curses God and beats his wife and does all these horrible things, he's got, he just won the lottery. What, what's going on, Lord? There will be vindication. The eternal perspective. The wicked will have their way. Amen? And so will God's children. So here he cries out, destroy the enemies. And then 30 through 34, like many of the Psalms, there is a switch. And my prayer is this. In my suffering, in your suffering, you would follow this pattern that David and many of the writers of the Psalms have. They speak real truth. This stinks. I'm suffering. Where are you? I can't see you. What is going on? And most of the time, it's towards the end where they say, I will praise you, yet I will hope in you. You are sovereign, and I will trust you. And here, in the end, there is hope, salvation, and deliverance in our God. Thanking God. And His confidence is not in His own strength or the circumstances, but His confidence is in the Lord. Because he is sovereign. In the last part, he speaks and says, All creation, join me 
and praise the Lord. He is in control. Here is the cry of a soul suffering, longing for healing, longing for things to work out. And I know that some of you, life is okay. You're retired. You're kind of coasting along. But outside of your life, you have grandchildren that suffer. You have family members that things are not right. And you may not have physical pain right now, but you know that there's pain and suffering around you. And you may echo many of the psalms that you read. And my prayer is that you live as this passage David wrote. Live a life of devotion, clinging to, knowing that God is in control and wanting to bring praise to Him in this situation. So this passage, like many, come from David's hand. They come from his human experience. When you read this, you go, oh, I can see this happening, David. Oh, we can even connect stories. We read back in some of the passages in the Old Testament. You go, oh, that was what hap- was happening to David at this time. We see this. We see that he went through pain and suffering. Yet, as we have gone through some of these Psalms, we see that David is a representation of God. And we see this, like in other passages in the Psalms, this is not exclusive to David alone. Some people would like to read this passage and go, well, this is only for David, because he wrote it. But we've been going through the Old Testament, and we've been seeing that the Old Testament points to, anticipates, in a beautiful way, and at times in a sorrowful way, Christ. And this, like many of the Psalms, speak of not just exclusively David alone, for it comes from his experiences, but David is the holder in the office of the king, and of the future Messiah. And this passage both is a literal and predictive passage of Jesus. At first we don't see that, but when we see and read the Gospels, and this passage quoted often in the New Testament, we realize this speaks of Christ. His pain and suffering was real. Agony. Take a look at this next slide. This, this comes from the experience of David, the holder in office, I just said, of the future Messiah. But this is both a literal and predictive passage of Jesus. It may not at times, some of these passages were not read as prophecy. Some were. Because they anticipated liberation and freedom. But the disciples saw this in Jesus When they saw him and heard him saying, this is my father's house, they quickly said, oh, this speaks of, and they quoted this passage. Others quoted this passage saying, oh, this is one, this was predicted when the Messiah would come. In the suffering and pain, yet focus on Christ. David's words were foreshadowing Christ's words and actions and trust in the Lord. We see this in Different passages, John chapter 2, John 15, Romans 15, and Acts chapter 1. Christ's focus is God's justice, trust in the Lord, and may this bring glory to Him. Do you do that in your suffering? Man, when I suffer, I go, fix it right away. 
Remember a couple weeks ago, I was feeling sick. I started getting my chest. I'm going to the doctor. Let's go. Let's get this. Doctor, pat my chest back. You're sick. Go home and get it out. What? No. I want right now. May we in our suffering follow Christ's example. Lord, may you bring justice right now. Because in a lot of suffering, there is injustice. Amen? There are wicked things happening in this world. Lord, may you bring justice. May I trust you is the second one. And may you be glorified in this, even if it results in death, my death. Would you ever pray that? For me to live is Christ. Amen? To die is what? Gain. Take a look at the next slide here. Christ is one who tasted it and he tasted suffering and humiliation and pain. He was like us, except for sin. He placed his trust in God as he grieved, suffered, and prayed because he knew that God was sovereign. Follow his example. But it comes to this question, and here's where I, I want to think about. What, what, what does this have to do with the sovereignty of God? And here's the big question. Is God truly in control when it comes to suffering? What about cancer? Is God totally in control there? Is God totally in control when there's a suicide? Is God totally in control... These are hard questions, amen? Some of you are going, uh, yeah, they are. For the history of mankind, we have thought through these questions. Philosophers love to look at this, and there's a big word called theodicy. How can God be totally good and just and allow evil in the world? Can these two even come together and... Wow, you should hear the answer. Some of them are great. Some of them are just whacked out and weird and just, wow. They try to exclude God from the picture. To answer these questions, we must begin not looking through our perspective, but God's perspective in the cross. Very important. What is God's perspective in the cross? Because here it is. There's a lot of wicked things in the world. We could almost rightfully say the most evil thing that ever happened. What would that be? What is the worst, most wicked, evil thing that ever happened? The death of Christ. It's the worst thing that ever happened that that we would take the Messiah and kill him, right? So let's take a look at the most heinous, worst thing that ever happened, and let's get God's perspective. So turn in the book to the book of Acts. Two passages we'll look at. Acts chapter 2. Because it would be fun to pontificate and theorize and come up with all these different ideas of, well, this is how God is sovereign in most things and all things, but when it comes to really nasty things, 
because God's all loving, he, because his love is just so great, this is so bad, well, this is where we can fudge things and move things. and you know, just It's hard. What do we do? What we need to, in our big questions, get God's perspective and see the whole counsel of God. Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 22. Men of Israel. Listen to this. Here's Peter speaking. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. And all these miracles, wonders, signs were verifying that this is God's Son, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Okay? This man was handed to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. Peter is going, guess what? This whole cross event that happened. He used two words. Look at this. God's set purpose and foreknowledge. So was God at all, God the Father involved with the cross? Yes. Even before Jesus was born. Yes. We see it in the Old Testament. We see that even before creation, the cross was thought of. So of the worst things to ever happen, the death of the God-man, Jesus, this was God's set purpose and foreknowledge. Put a big comma there. And you, even though God is totally in control, we still have human responsibility totally for our actions. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. In the worst thing that ever happened, God is in control. God is totally in control. Quickly, verse 24, because you know me, I love every day I wake up thinking of Good Friday and Easter. But God raised him from the dead. I love that. Freeing, oh, freeing him from the agony. Just always in the cross perspective, have that resurrection. Is God sovereign in suffering? The worst thing that ever happened. Totally sovereign. Totally in control. Let's look at the next passage. Turn a couple, page or two to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Uh, there's, I've got just written up here on the screen a few of this, but look, look yeah, 424. And again, remember, in the Old Testament, so many times when David would pray, when others would pray, when prophets would pray, they would have peppered throughout their prayer this phrase, Oh, Sovereign Lord. Oh, Sovereign Lord. You are totally in control. 
This begins with, look at verse 24. When they heard this, they raised their voices together and prayed to God. Together they did this. In one accord they did this. Sovereign Lord, they said. So it begins with this aspect. You are totally in control. Jump down to 27. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Here it is. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand what should happen. His plan determined beforehand all this was in God's plan. Is God sovereign in suffering? Yes. Totally. Take a look at this next slide here. God is sovereign in the worst of all evils and suffering. The death of His own Son. Like what is mentioned in Psalms and the other Psalms, Jesus was rejected, humiliated, beaten, suffered, mourned, agony. We can just fill so many words when we look at all the Psalms that talk about Christ. He suffered. These happened according to God's plan. And it turned out so good. Amen? Because of this, I have life. In your suffering, know that God is totally in control, totally sovereign for your good and His glory. Amen? God is sovereign. So in the worst pain, the worst evil, the worst death was the death of Jesus, showing that God is sovereign in suffering. This is good news for you. Because as you are either before suffering or sitting in the seat of suffering or just done with suffering, if you know that God is sovereign, that doesn't mean you won't have more suffering. That doesn't mean that the suffering will come, well, I won't feel it anymore. This is good. No. It might be grave, even to the point of death. But hopefully, you will, like me, be able to at night rest your head on a pillow and say, this brings me comfort that God is sovereign. Your pillow may be soaked with tears. Like my hanky was Thursday night. I reached out and it was just soaking wet from my tears. But I knew that God was sovereign. and He's in control. And praise God He is. Amen. Let me end with this. And it's up on the slide here. I like to read books without pictures now. Back in the day, I liked books with pictures. And this is, I love reading some of the old confessions and creeds, and this is uh, the creeds of Christendom. This is kind of old. This was written in uh, the 1500s, the Heidelberg Catechism. So it might be a little different than I have in the book here. What does it profit to know that God has created and by his providence, his sovereignty, still upholds all things, 
All right, Pastor Cody, we just looked in Scripture. God is sovereign and suffering. What good does that have to do? I love this. Kids would have to memorize these things. That we may be patient in affliction. Think of that. When suffering comes to your door, you're not going to be patient just so you can go, I want the cure, I want the cure. Your patient comes because you know God is in control. Amen? So in your affliction, know that God is in control. And you can be patient in affliction. Thankful in prosperity. And for what is future, have good and confidence in our faithful God and Father. And that no creature shall be separated, shall separate us from his love. Again, you have to know, I say this over and over, memorize Romans 8. It begins with, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it ends with, what can separate us from the love of God? Life, death, angels, demons, things present, things to come? Nothing shall separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Since all creatures are so in His hand that without His will they cannot so much as move. So in your suffering, always know that God is sovereign. He's in control. And someday, maybe on my hospital bed, you may sit next to me and say, Pastor Coder, remember, God is in control. He is sovereign. Trust Him and pray that this would bring glory to Him. Amen? Let's pray.